Georgia's probably going to be the first state I'm going to blow up, and Mr. Kemp and the Secretary of State need to go with it because they're in on the Dominion scam. Are you sure about that, Sidney Powell? You're an attorney, you know. You should be careful about what well, you say. I don't know why I came here tonight. I'm just saying. I got the feeling that something right. I'm not an attorney, so I'm don't listen to me. I'm scared in case I fall off my chair. What do I know? And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. <laughs> Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Up in Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. And other fine terrestrial affiliates on whom we are glad to be heard. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing. Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, as we are now 33 days, 33 days, count them, until Inauguration Day on January 20th. The longest 33 days of your life and mine. 19 days until Joe Biden's electoral college, quote, landslide defeat of Donald Trump. I was quoting Donald Trump there uh, until uh, that will be affirmed or not by the U.S. Congress on January 6th. Again, a day you'll want to mark on your calendar and then we're going to talk a little bit more about in a moment. Uh, also, we are now 18 days from the final day for Georgians to cast their votes in the state's two ongoing U.S. Senate runoff elections, which will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Final election day is January 5. Early voting is now underway. So get to work, Georgia and Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, more on that uh, Sidney Powell quote at the uh, at the top of the show there, where she claimed that Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger uh, were taking kickbacks from the Dominion Voting Systems Company when she was on Newsmax TV. Yeah, that's quite an allegation to make, ain't it? Though. Uh, it, well, we'll have a little bit more on that coming up a little bit later on today's program. For a start, however. 
Uh, hello, Desi Doyen. That's hello. For a start, there's that. That's a good place to also, start. Also, <laughs> uh, as as regular listeners know, we have been operating uh, on this program on the Friday the thirteenth principle. We'll call it uh, today. Uh, over the past few uh, what six weeks or so since election day, the Friday the thirteenth principle. Um, because, sure, it seems that Joe Biden has decisively won both the Electoral College and the popular vote. And sure, Team Trump and the MAGA mob like Sidney Powell have lost nearly 60 court cases challenging the results of that election with absolutely zero evidence of fraud that could uh, be presented in court, much less change the results of the election. The MAGA misfits, by the way, are still filing new suits in various jurisdictions, though they, too, are being summarily dismissed, tossed out because, well, they are uh, ridiculous and pathetic. As fa- and in fact, uh, uh, in Georgia, in Cobb County, Georgia today, regarding the um, the two U.S. Senate runoffs. There were several challenges filed in Georgia. Apparently, anyone can challenge any other elector. And there was a couple of folks that challenged uh, something like 50,000 voters claiming that they uh, had moved out, that they had post office records showing that they had moved out of the state. They should not be allowed to vote in the upcoming Senate runoff. This is uh, Cobb County, where they have a uh, uh, an elections board, which I believe is three to one Republican. However, all of those Republicans on that board lost their jobs in the last election. They were all voted out and replaced by Democrats. However, so they're all lame ducks. now. They're all lame ducks. Uh, right. Still on there, even though they're going to be out of a job in a month. Correct. But I know you're cynical, and I know you think you know where this story is going, Desi Doyen. <laughs> I am there cynical, was, I know, but I don't know where the story is going. This story, uh, there was the Cobb County uh, Board of Elections held a hearing today, and uh, by a vote of four to zero, tossed out all of these challenges. Nice. Yeah. And apparently, this list was full of people. Uh, they had APO, uh, Army Post Office, by a lot of them. Oh. They were military people who had, you know, were posted out of state. They are still allowed to vote in Georgia. That's still their permanent residence. Yeah, that's still their duty station. So, so they're allowed to vote. Uh, students, people who move out of the state temporarily but still consider Georgia, Georgia to be their residence, they're allowed to vote. So all of these were thrown out. Point being here, these challenges continue not only to the November election, but also to the upcoming Georgia January election. Because, you know, winning because you got more votes, because you have better policies, is apparently something that has not occurred recently to the Republican Party. Uh, But anyway, with all of that in mind, under the Friday the 13th principle, no matter how many times that you believe Freddie has actually been killed, he still somehow returns from the grave to take another victim. So you would be foolish to kill Freddy, turn your back, walk around, think everything is fine. So we remain uh, ever vigilant on this program, at least until noon on January 20th next year, when Joe Biden 
is still set to officially be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. Perhaps even the 47th president of the United States. We'll see if Donald Trump decides to duck out and allow uh, Mike Pence to step in for long enough to grant him a pardon on his way out the door. We'll see. I don't know. And by the way, we are now very much on pardon watch as a bunch of them are likely coming at any time. In the next several days as we approach the Christmas holiday, so heads up for that as well. We remain vigilant here on this program as we believe that is the wise thing to do with Freddie in the White House. And if we could make it this far, uh, it seems like letting our guard down now uh, with about a month left to go seems ill-advised and a classic horror movie mistake. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and these past four years, as you know, have been nothing if not a horror movie. Uh, and now, sadly, we've got the body count to show for it horrifically enough. But uh, we got, you know, what is it? 30, 33 more days left to go. Stay vigilant, people. And so with that preamble, there is this today from the not insane conservative Norm Ornstein in uh, in Washington Post that you may wish to have on your radar. Ornstein writes, the biggest surprise in November's elections was the Democrats loss of seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. And I would add here a, a loss that has not been inspected nearly closely enough by election integrity advocates like myself, who have been all too busy chasing down nonsense and easily debunked and repeatedly debunked phony claims of fraud from the MAGA mob since Election Day. Indeed, writes Ornstein about those Democratic House losses, there were two surprises he, uh, that the party suffered losses at all. And that there were so many, at least 12 of them, 12 losses. Democrats will start the next Congress, he writes, with a likely majority of only four seats. They'll have a four seat majority as of uh, January 3 when they are sworn in. And that number will shrink to uh, just two for several months next year until special elections can be held. When uh, Congress members Cedric Richmond of Louisiana and Marsha Fudge of Ohio, when they leave Congress for positions in the Biden administration. And as we noted on yesterday's show, this uh, Ornstein's article came out uh, before this announcement uh, yesterday. We noted that that number uh, may now, in fact, shrink to a bare one vote majority in the U.S. House as New Mexico Congresswoman Deb Holland has now also been tapped by the Biden administration to become the next Secretary of Interior and the first Native American to hold that position or any cabinet position at all, apparently, in American history. So that is very cool, but it could place Democrats in a very perilous position in the U.S. House next year as those now three members would need to be replaced in special elections where uh, the party generally not in the White House uh, does, uh, you know, tends to do very well. So back to Ornstein here, uh, even that four seat majority that Democrats will hold immediately after the new Congress is sworn in has its perils. He writes one is short term and he says is admittedly unlikely, but it involves the ability of the new House to vote remotely by proxy. 
When the new House convenes at noon on January 3, he notes all members will have to be physically present to be sworn in and they will have to repass that rule that allowed the House to vote remotely. He says if, uh, let's say, five Democrats have COVID-19 and are quarantined or hospitalized, And by the way, you may have heard yesterday that Cedric Richmond, in fact, has tested positive for COVID. If uh, five of them have COVID or quarantined, hospitalized or can't make it to Washington while all the Republicans can be present, the majority could rest temporarily with the GOP. Temporary House majority of Republicans. That's what everybody really needs right now. Isn't that cool? Uh, and, of course, that would be in the days before Donald Trump is actually sworn. Uh, I'm sorry. Joe Biden is actually sworn in on January 20. So Republicans could end up with a majority in both the House and Senate for a few weeks. Stay well, everyone. I hope that Cedric Richmond has been staying away from other people in the U.S. House. But here's where it starts to get even scarier. You're welcome. Norm Ornstein goes on to write, what would happen in that case on January 6th? He notes, sending a chill down my spine when Congress then meets in joint session to affirm the Electoral College results. He says that would be anyone's guess. Now, I've explained it before, but very quickly on January 6th. Uh, Congress meets in a joint session with both the Senate and the House. They go uh, through each and every state Uh, the electors from each and every state, and they have to ratify each uh, state as it goes. And if there is any challenge, basically it, it requires one member of the House and one member of the Senate to challenge the results in any particular state. Now, a lot of Democrats have been saying, well, uh, it doesn't seem likely that they're going to get a vote in the Senate to to challenge uh, that because Mitch McConnell does not want that to happen. But uh, Tommy Tuberville, the new senator, the senator-elect from Alabama replacing Doug Jones, has uh, lately indicated he might join such a challenge. If so, even then, you don't need to worry, because what happens at that point is the two houses separate. House goes back to the House. The Senate goes back to the Senate. They deliberate for two hours and then they vote. And in order to not accept one of those electoral results from from those states, there has to be a majority in both houses. Now, as you know, Democrats have a majority in the House. They are not likely to vote against any of these results, uh, you know, being accepted by Congress. But if they don't have that majority, because they Even would only if have just temporary, temporary, they'd only have four. And if not enough can show up for this vote, well, anything can happen. So that's a good reason, I think, to remain vigilant. Don't oh. you, Des? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, as I've said before, I, I, you know, all of this stuff sounds wildly unlikely. But I think we have discovered that you cannot trust these Republicans to not pull every single lever, to not pull every yeah. single trick, scheme, yep. crime necessary yep. in order to steal the election. So we are remaining vigilant. Uh, now, that is the short term concern that under our Friday the 13th principle, I thought it was important to note here from Ornstein. So you know about it. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure everything will be fine. Nothing to worry about. It's all a done deal. There's no way that Donald Trump could find to make himself president for another four years. Right? Right. 
Probably. Uh, there are some longer-term considerations that Ornstein also goes into, uh, t- and, uh, and I'll get to those in a moment, regarding the thin Democratic majority in the House and what could uh, either be a thin majority or a thin majority uh, minority or a thin majority in the U.S. Senate as well, depending on how those two Georgia runoff uh, races work out. Uh, But I also want to put this on your radar from Axios Today, since we're, you know, back into horror movie Friday the 13th Freddy Watch mode for the moment. Axios reports that acting defense secretary Chris Miller, he apparently is the guy who is now filling in uh, following Trump's recent firing of the real defense secretary, Mark Esper, who was let go along with a number of other top Pentagon officials and replaced by completely unqualified Trump apparatchiks to head the entire Pentagon, the entire U.S. military at this point for some reason. Anyway, Acting Defense Secretary Miller ordered a a Pentagon-wide halt to cooperation with the transition of President-elect Biden, according to Axios, reportedly shocking officials across the Defense Department As uh, senior administration officials have told Axios, meetings between Trump's team and the Biden team are going on throughout the government after a delayed start as the administration dragged its feet on initially recognizing Biden as the president elect. And then on Thursday night, Miller, who was just appointed to this role on November 9 when Trump fired uh, Esper right after the election, Miller ordered officials throughout the building to cancel scheduled transition meetings. Okay. A senior Defense Department official sought to downplay the move, says Axios, calling it, quote, a simple delay of the last few scheduled meetings until after the new year. The official said we've had fewer than two dozen remaining meetings on the schedule today and next week. The DOD staff working the meetings were overwhelmed by the number of meetings. These same senior leaders needed to do their day jobs and were being consumed by transition activities. With the holidays, we are taking a knee for two weeks. We are still committed to productive transition. Now, apparently, behind the scenes, according to Axios, Trump administration officials uh, left open the possibility of uh, cooperation resuming after a holiday pause. The officials were unsure what prompted Miller's action in the first place or whether Donald Trump had approved it. Uh, Miller had said then in a statement following the publication of this story from Axios that, quote, at no time has the department canceled or declined any interview after the mutually agreed upon holiday, which begins tomorrow. We will continue with the transition and rescheduled meetings from today. See, everything's fine. Why are you looking at me like that? Something sounds off. Well, Biden transition director Johannes Abraham immediately contradicted the Pentagon officials' response to this story uh, on Friday afternoon, telling reporters, quote, let me be clear, there was no mutually agreed-upon holiday break. In fact, he said, we think it's important that briefings and other engagements continue during this period as there is no time to spare, and that's particularly true in the aftermath of the ascertainment delay. He's referring to the delay in the Trump administration recognizing Biden as the president-elect. So he knew nothing about this, apparently. 
And uh, as Axios notes, the move stunned officials throughout the Pentagon. It was the biggest eruption yet of animus and mistrust toward the Biden team from the top level of the Trump administration. So what is actually happening here? That is still unclear. But Axios offers some potential clues as they try to figure out what all of this is about uh, in this story that broke uh, late last night, has been developing throughout the day today. They report there was uh, fury at the Biden team among some senior Pentagon officials, apparently, uh, that escalated after The Washington Post published a story on Wednesday night revealing how much money would be saved if Joe Biden halted construction of Trump's border wall. Okay. Trump. Well, that's that seems obvious to me that money would be saved by not spending it on stupid things. <laughs> well, uh, this apparently uh, made some people mad. Well, it made some people mad. They blamed uh, this leak, apparently, on the Biden team. But uh, Axios reports that they have no evidence that it was actually the Biden team who leaked any of this. And both of the reporters at The Washington Post uh, on the uh, Washington Post story uh, who who reported this, uh, both of them cover the Trump administration and they have historically been prolific beneficiaries of leaks coming from the administration, mm. the Trump administration. So uh, in any event, for the moment here, I'm actually going to take this as good news that uh, this is simply some bickering over some Pentagon priorities or something. Uh, moving forward with the uh, Trump administration trying to wield whatever power they feel that they have left at this point. OK, that would be fine if that's what that is. Let them throw their tantrums. If there is something else going on, however, with just under 30 days until Inauguration Day, which the administration feels that they, you know, sort of need to keep the Biden transition team in the dark on in keep the them Pentagon, from finding something out in the Pentagon just days before we're supposed to have a new president. Well, that would be a more troubling situation. <laughs> well, yes, and I'm indeed. not saying that is what's going on. I'm saying we don't know what's going on at this hour. And this is highly, not only highly unusual, I think this is unprecedented. So I thought that was worth uh, putting on onto your uh, Freddy radar as well at this point. Uh, for those of you on Freddy Watch uh, along with us. Uh, now, let me get back to uh, or Ornstein here for a bit more on this thin Democratic margin in the House and a number of things that I think it means uh, moving forward, which you should also know about. This is more politics. This is less horror show. You'll be happy to know. I think <laughs> I think we're mostly past the scary part of today's show. But so, we're not quite so out of the woods just yet. There's still a chance for somebody to jump out from behind a tree. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But as far as I know, what I'm going to be talking about, I, I, I don't think any more of it is, well, maybe a little scary. Okay. Because uh, I go back to Ornstein here. Uh, he writes, the implications of this razor-thin majority in the U.S. House. Again, it'll be a four-vote majority. Three of them will be leaving for a time uh, to join the Biden administration with uh, uh, special elections then needing to be held. That gives them a one-vote majority in the House. Uh, the implications of that razor-thin majority, he writes, are likely to persist longer, long, uh, I'm sorry, to persist long after we get over the January 6th hump for ratifying the Electoral College vote, presuming that we do. 
Ornstein notes the House has not had a margin this close since after the 1930 election. That year, he says, Republicans won 218 seats but had enough deaths, deaths, before the convening of the new Congress in March. They didn't meet uh, until March back then. They had 14 deaths in all between Election Day and March of that year that Democrats were actually able to take the majority and hold it when they won a few of these special elections in the interim. So that was the last time we had something this close. So that's my way of warning. So, yeah, maybe that's a little scary. The Democrats' impending mini-majority, as he describes it, means there is no leeway for President-elect Biden to choose any more House members for cabinet positions or other key posts. And there will be heavy pressure put on Democratic California Governor Gavin Newsom not to choose one of the very attractive possible replacements in the House to fill the uh, the uh, Senate seat being vacated by Vice President-elect Kamala Harris when that vacancy happens on January 20. Yes. So there goes my hope for either uh, Katie uh, Porter. Katie Porter, down Katie in Orange Porter, County. Or Barbara Lee to fill that seat. Barbara Lee, who frankly very much deserves that seat, uh, as I see it, to be frank. So I think no hope for that at this point. And this all means uh, that that may then pave the way for California's terrible and dishonest Democratic Secretary of State Alex Padilla to be uh, to be given Kamala Harris's seat. I hope not, though, while he would likely be an undistinguished but reliable Democratic vote in the U.S. Senate. Emphasis uh, on undistinguished. Yes, but he would still vote the way the Democrats wanted him to. Okay, fine. So not having him here in California as Secretary of State might actually be a good thing. <laughs> as I've been thinking more about this. Yes, he's terrible. He's a terrible Secretary of State, but I think he can do less damage, to be honest, in the U.S. Senate. And then perhaps we could get a real, a good Secretary of State back in that seat again here. Perhaps Newsom could then even reappoint Deborah Bowen to her old position as Secretary of State. That would be nice. In any event, in the meantime, Ornstein notes, any glitch, any uh, unexpected death or resignation or even defection could then make a very big difference in the House. He says there will be little, if any, room for error or loss at that point, frankly. And not only that, he warns, simply having a majority does not mean power to do anything on the wish list of either the president or the Speaker of the House. For Nancy Pelosi, in a House where there is no likelihood on any significant issue of getting even one single Republican vote, that means the California Democrat will have no leeway at all. The Speaker will need the support of progressive reps such as Ilhan Omar of uh, Minnesota, and moderates like Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger of Virginia and all of the Democrats in between across the wide spectrum of the party. That means that, you know, anything like the Green New Deal or Medicare for All likely to be a non-starter in this uh, upcoming Congress unless all Democrats are somehow willing to come aboard and to pass it. Ornstein also notes that lawmakers will also uh, be thinking about the next election in, 22, in uh, 2022. It's a midterm election, which usually goes against the party holding the White House. 
So that slim majority could turn into a Republican majority pretty easily as of 2022. And a lot of members uh, who are in swing districts will be thinking along those lines. So uh, hopefully, again, this is not the scary part, but it may be the disappointing part, I, I, I hate to say, for progressives. So aren't you glad you tuned in? <laughs> <laughs> scary stuff. Well, I think disappointing it's, stuff. it's yes. important for people to understand that, you know, this doesn't stop with uh, Biden getting into the White House, just yeah. like it never stopped when Obama got into the White House in 2008. And then suddenly people stopped voting in the midterm elections, mm-hmm. giving Republicans the uh, the leeway that they needed to take yeah. over the House in 2010 and completely destroy and sabotage any hope of a strong economic economic recovery after the Great Recession. Now they are planning on doing the same thing. They're talking about it openly, the Republicans are. So yeah, the midterm elections in 2022, crucially important. Now things could uh, somewhat change if in fact both of the Democrats running in that Georgia U.S. Senate runoffs on January 5, if both of them are able to uh, win their control of both houses, Ornstein notes, and the White House at least opens the possibility of significant legislative action in areas like health care, tax policy, infrastructure, criminal justice reform, etc. But he says it may sound paradoxical, but having the House majority will be even more consequential if Democrats win both of those seats in Georgia, because a 50-50 Senate would create the same challenge for the new majority leader in the Senate, presumably Chuck Schumer, as the close margin does then in the House for Nancy Pelosi. That would mean that in the Senate they would need to get approval, again, from all of the Democratic senators, everyone from Joe Manchin on the right to Bernie Sanders on the left, will have to agree on anything and everything in order to pass because they cannot count on one single Republican vote. So... You know, with all of those uh, unknowns, uh, as Ornstein uh, finishes here, we are in a new territory where the nation's priorities and those of the incoming president may rest on forces beyond the control of the politicians. Because with Democrats having a Senate deficit like 51-49 or 52-48 or even 50-50, COVID-19 could make those numbers shakier than usual, which means we could see majorities shift more than once in both of these houses before we even get to 2022. And you thought everything was going to be easy once you got rid of Donald Trump, didn't you? Silly you. Okay, let's take a quick break here. And I've got a follow-up to my recent, what, rant slash story regarding the uh, voting machine company Smartmatic that is now threatening to sue right-wing media outlets for defamation after lies told by those outlets suggested that the company was once tied to Venezuela and Hugo Chavez and that uh, any of this had anything to do with what happened in the 2020 presidential election. Another voting machine company today is now also threatening to push back against all of this madness. That and some good news about election integrity, if I can get to it, from, wait for it, a very right-wing and very unlikely source. That is all straight ahead, along with our latest Green News report as well. Lots to come right here on the world-infamous Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) 
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Right, right, you're bloody well right You got a bloody right to say Mmm, maybe You're bloody well right You don't have the right to just make stuff up You don't have the right to defame people Mm, I don't think. We'll find out. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A couple of days ago on this program, I was unhappily uh, given little choice but to deliver what turned out to be a um, a fairly epic rant, I think. <laughs> Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, it, I would. I would pr- that's very fair to put well, it Well, and I don't mind epic rants, but in this case, it was in support of a voting machine company, which really irritated me that I had to do that. In that case, it was a company named Smartmatic, which, as I've reported in a series of deep dive Bradblog.com exclusive reports... Regarding some ownership questions and attempted hostile takeovers and intellectual property issues among several different, at least three different voting machine vendors, all based on whistleblower tips and court documents. I reported on this back way back in 2008 and 2010. Among those uh, reports, uh, I noted, of course, that Smartmatic was once tied in various ways to Venezuela and their former president, now late president, Hugo Chavez. It was that series of exclusive reports that much of this nonsense you've been hearing since Election Day from Team Trump and the MAGA mob about Dominion voting systems and Smartmatic and Hugo Chavez, who died seven years ago, and Venezuela and communist countries like Cuba and China thrown into the mix just to make it all sound more diabolical. All of that that you've heard about them stealing the election from Donald Trump with computer algorithms that secretly flipped votes from Trump to Biden. Yes, you can blame me and your friendly neighborhood Brad blog for some of that, for helping to fuel that twisted, bastardized version of what I originally and accurately reported years and years ago which was then taken and twisted into this phony, fake uh, series of claims you're hearing now about Dominion voting systems, which uh, did, in fact, recently win a $100 million-plus contract to supply all new 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in Georgia that the, uh, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, forced all voters at the polls to use for the first time this year. And also Dominion voting systems uh, were used in a Republican county up in Michigan, Antrim County, where they had problems uploading their results to the state on election night. Apparently that was unrelated, it looks like, to the Dominion tabulation system. But the wingnuts have been blaming Dominion for that as well, and somehow Smartmatic as well, because Dominion purchased another voting machine company, named Sequoia at one point, uh, which had ties 
to Smartmatic. Yes, I know it's a wildly convoluted and apparently too difficult for Team Trump to be able to understand, uh, or more likely they did not want to understand it, so they just started shouting Hugo Chavez and you know, somehow blamed Smartmatic for all sorts of things, even though, and here's the important part, Smartmatic has no business at all in any of the swing states. It has just one contract in all of the U.S., which is a new one. It's right here in Los Angeles County to supply 100% unverifiable touchscreens here in Los Angeles County. So Smartmatic really should have nothing to do with any of this. But since, you know, Venezuela and Hugo Chavez are much scarier than a bunch of Canadians uh, you know, who own a Dominion, the Wingnuts just started blaming Smartmatic for everything that they didn't blame Dominion for, and they even blamed Dominion for things that Dominion had nothing to do with, like voting in Philadelphia, where Dominion doesn't even have a contract. ES&S does. Dif another vendor, Dominion, does have contracts in Pennsylvania, but Donald Trump pretty much won every single county where Dominion actually runs the voting system. So with all of that, uh, as I reported a couple of days ago, Smartmatic is now threatening to sue Team Trump and three right-wing media outlets, Fox News, Newsmax, and One America News Network for defamation. And frankly, I hope that they do. But anyway, that's why I found myself in the uncomfortable position of having to defend a voting machine company recently, because I know for a fact that the claims being made by these MAGA clowns are patently false and based on bastardized and incorrect versions of my own reporting. For the record, there's no evidence that Dominion or Smartmatic, uh, that any of their voting machines stole votes from anybody in 2020, though they certainly could have. Because that's how crappy and insecure and unoverseeable these computerized voting and tabulation systems are. But in any event, I do hope Smartmatic sues those clowns. Now, a following, uh, an update, a follow-up uh, from the New York Times this week on all of this. Now, is not just Smartmatic, now Dominion Voting Systems is threatening to file lawsuits as well. And I hope they do. They sent a blistering letter on Wednesday night to the right-wing lawyer Sidney Powell demanding that she publicly retract her, quote, wild, knowingly baseless, and false accusations about the company's voting machines, which have repeatedly found themselves at the heart of conspiracy theories surrounding the election, reports the Times. The letter is a preparatory step, they say, to formal legal action. It accuses Powell of engaging in, quote, reckless disinformation about Dominion's machines at news conferences, rallies in support of Donald Trump, and on right-wing outlets like Fox News, Newsmax, Newsmax and uh, Rush Limbaugh's show. Powell has also filed unsuccessful federal lawsuits seeking to overturn the election in four key swing states, lodging claims that were, quote, according to this letter, predicated on lies and that have, quote, endangered Dominion's business and the lives of its employees. In the wake of Powell's allegations, Dominion has come under fire from the president and his supporters who have maintained without evidence that the company's machines switched votes from Trump to Biden 
On Monday, the uh, Dominion's chief executive told Michigan lawmakers investigating the election that the company had been the victim of, quote, a dangerous and reckless disinformation campaign aimed at sowing doubt and confusion. And in fact, they have down in uh, in Georgia. The Republican uh, who runs the uh, who, who's the main voting system manager down there, Gabe Sterling, has said that not only has he and the secretary of state and the governor, Brian Kemp, received death threats, but so have contract workers, workers hired by the state or hired by Dominion to work on the system down there. They, too, people who have nothing to do with this. People who are like 20 year old kids. No offense to 20-year-olds, but, you know, Uh, they're young people. uh, Well, they're young people. Now, they could steal an election, I suppose, but there is no evidence that any of them have, and yet they are receiving these death threats. In the letter, Dominion demands Powell publicly disavow several false claims that she's repeated in the past few weeks. For instance, uh, she's maintained that Dominion machines and their software were created in Venezuela to help the country's now-deceased former president, Hugo Chavez, win elections. That, I will note, is patently untrue. Dominion insists they have no connection to Venezuela. Dominion also demanded that uh, Powell retract false statements she made suggesting the company paid kickbacks to officials in Georgia for, quote, no-bid contracts to use its machines and that it manipulated votes, quote, in an effort to rig the 2020 election. Here's Powell doing exactly that on Newsmax TV on November 21. Georgia's probably going to be the first state I'm going to blow up, and, and Mr. Kemp and the Secretary of State need to go with it because they're in on the Dominion scam with their last-minute purchase or award of a contract to Dominion of $100 million. The State Bureau of Investigation for Georgia ought to be looking into the financial benefits received by Mr. Kemp and, and uh, the Secretary of State's family about that time. Just to clarify, you're saying that Governor Kemp, who's been a longtime ally of the president, is it is directly involved because of financial benefit in the conspiracy to defeat the president in Georgia? We have certainly been told that there is evidence of that <laughs> and it would warrant an investigation. If I can't give you any more details on that now, but it would certainly warrant an investigation. So, uh, you have been told that? We have been certainly told that it would warrant investigation? Sidney Powell, you just now said on air that they need to investigate the financial benefits received by Brian Kemp, the governor, and the secretary of state's families that they received financial kickbacks. And then, well, we, we I can't say more. We, somebody, Someone should look into that. I can't tell you about the criminal allegation I just made. Exactly. So she claims she was told that. But apparently had no evidence because, you know, when she eventually filed this suit that you said she was going to blow up Georgia, as you heard there, uh, well, her suits, her suit in Georgia was dismissed. All her suits have been dismissed in in other states as well. Michigan, Georgia, in both state and federal court, even by uh, Trump appointees, uh, appointed judges, as I recall. All of those suits, the New York Times notes, were dismissed by federal judges. One says Powell's claims were based on, one of the judges said, based on, quote, nothing but speculation and conjecture. Another said that the expert reports she she submitted reached, quote, implausible conclusions. In one case in Michigan, lawyers for the city of Detroit served her with papers that are the first step toward asking a judge to formally sanction her. 
Dominion notes in their lawsuit threat to Powell that she never mentioned any of these accusations in any of her court filings, depriving the company of the opportunity to legally refute these charges. They say, while you are entitled to your own opinions, Ms. Powell, the, uh, you are not entitled to your own facts. Now, by the way, during a discussion about uh, this and the previous Smartmatic story on an election integrity list uh, that I'm on, uh, folks, uh, well, one of them noted that we should be very careful about what we wish for when I was calling for these uh, companies to sue these people, to sue these media outlets, to sue Sidney Powell and so forth. Because these companies could also sue folks like us or me for defamation or you, Desi Doyen, mostly you. I think they <laughs> ought to go after you. But anyway, that is true. Anybody can try to sue anybody for anything, I suppose. But the reason that I have not been sued, I would like to think, in my nearly 20 years of covering this stuff is because I actually make sure to get the story right before reporting it and make sure that my reporting is based on independently verifiable evidence so that nobody ever has to simply trust me about anything. Oh, I can't talk more about that, but uh, you'll see later on. No, I don't do that. So we'll have to see how this plays out. And as legal experts caution, it is very difficult to sue an attorney for defamation. They can't be sued for anything that they say in court or in court documents, as I understand it. But what they say outside of court, for example, on Newsmax TV or in rallies for the president, that is a different story. Now, it's different in every state, apparently. So we're going to have to see where any of these suits end up getting filed if any of these suits end up getting filed it will depend on what state they file it in whether or not she can be sued for the things that she has said in the media in press conferences at these rallies because some of these states not only will protect an attorney from what they say in court and what they uh, file in their in their you know court filings but also what they say when they are representing their client in other venues so that all remains to be seen. No suit has yet been filed. We don't know uh, what state or any uh, if, where we'll see such a suit, but we will keep our eyes out. That said, I've, I've long noted that we were not likely to get any real change when it comes to our terrible, unsecure voting system, uh, which even when it works correctly, leave people wondering uh, if those systems actually did work correctly because they're difficult, if not impossible, to oversee and to know who actually won or lost an election. And that alone, I've argued, presents a grave threat to American democracy. I've warned this for years, and I believe that we are now seeing this play out before our eyes with the claims that the Trumpers are making. I've said we are never going to get change until a Republican either get screwed or I guess feels like they got screwed by these systems because it has been Republicans by and large who have defended these unverifiable and easily manipulated systems for years. But we've got some good news today on that front. Maybe, just maybe, something good can come out of all of this nonsense and all of this madness once Trump is gone and the dust is finally settled. You may have heard of the far right wing, frankly, propaganda news outlet called Epoch Times. You should never believe anything that they report. They are little more than a propaganda outlet that spouts all kinds of Trump nonsense. 
which is why they've become so popular on the right and why Trump and the rest of the MAGA mob shares and retweets them as if they're an actual news site. They are not. But they can tell us what is going on on the right. And what they tell us this week may be very good news indeed for those of us who have fought for election integrity and the need for hand-marked and even hand-counted paper ballots as the only way to restore a voting system, you know, so that the winners and losers alike in this country may have oversight and confidence in the results. So in a piece headlined, this is in the Epoch Times again, it's titled, America Needs to Go Back to Paper Elections. America needs to go back to paper elections and, and processes to stamp out vulnerabilities that accompany the growing digital footprint in elections, according to Phil Klein, the head of a civil liberties project that has been challenging election results in the courts. Now, what he had is not really a civil liberties project, <laughs> uh, it, I, but I told you this is the Epoch Times. It's right. a right wing legal group. Uh, that actually tries to take away liberties, but that doesn't matter here for the moment. Klein said that America was in the counting room in Bush v. Gore. We all got to look at the ballot and decide whether it was valid. He's absolutely right. He says we can keep the paper and we can audit the paper and we can do so with efficiency. But the primary aim should not be efficiency behind closed doors. It should be transparency and accuracy. Paper gives it to you, he says. Well, holla frickin' Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, now I wish he had said hand marked paper ballots. But later in the story, they make very clear that that is exactly what he was talking about. And even potentially talking about not just hand-marked paper ballots, but hand-counted paper ballots. This is good news. The story then goes on to cite in 2017 the former head of the UK's MI6 Foreign Intelligence Service saying that paper ballots were the most secure and rejecting the idea of allowing machines into the country's long-standing hand-count election process. This would be Sir John Sawyers, the head of MI6 from uh, 2009 until 2014. He told the BBC uh, back in 2017 that the more systems are put online, the more vulnerable they become to cyber attacks. The only trouble is, he says, the younger generation of people expect to be able to do things remotely and through electronic devices. Quote, he says, bizarrely, the stubby pencil and piece of paper that you put your cross on in the ballot box is actually much more secure than anything which is electronic. This is a report coming from the right-wing Epoch Times, which is often shared by Donald Trump and folks on the right. If folks on the right are now calling for hand-marked and hand-counted paper ballots, count me in. Maybe something good can come of this, but we'll see. Don't hold your breath. All right, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and our latest Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
Des, it is still impossible to keep up with everything. <laughs> so true. So uh, we've got a Green News report here that we actually laid down yesterday. We didn't have time for it on yesterday's show, it, but we laid it down before there were two more uh, big announcements from the Biden transition team that North Carolina environmental regulator Michael Regan would be named uh, as the EPA administrator and Congresswoman Deb Holland of New Mexico would become our next Interior Department uh, secretary. secretary. Correct. But that wasn't all that Biden uh, announced this week when it comes to the climate, as we discuss in our latest Green News report. And now comes a historic opportunity. This administration can deliver policies and resources that will create jobs, rise to the climate challenge, and equitably serve all Americans. President-elect Biden's cabinet nominations focus on jobs and climate. Trump administration declines protections for endangered butterflies. Plus, these are people who build. And so this is uh, the, the most rapid way to put people to work coming out of the COVID crisis. Washington Governor Jay Inslee unveils ambitious clean energy jobs plan. All of those ambitions and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You can still be terrified about the pace at which we are burning up the planet. Good, because I am. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we are learning who Joe Biden hopes will be in his cabinet when it comes to the climate, and it looks like he's got some pretty good people in store. Oh, yes, he does. And we'll get to that in a moment. First, the bad news. The Trump Fish and Wildlife Service announced this week that it will not consider listing the monarch butterfly for endangered species status until at least 2024, saying other species are higher on the priority list. The iconic butterfly's population has declined 99% over the last 20 years due to development and the explosive growth of chemical pesticides in industrial agriculture. What do you mean other species are higher up on the list? Is there a limit of how many species can be added to the endangered list? They are required by some court orders to prioritize other species first. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Can the Biden administration change those priorities? Oh, yes. Okay. I'll look forward to it. And Trump's Federal Emergency Management Agency has proposed to slash disaster aid to states by making it substantially harder for them to qualify for assistance after extreme weather events like floods, wildfires and storms. Also can be changed by Joe Biden? Yes. Good. In politics, President-elect Joe Biden pushed forward on climate action this week, a stark contrast from the science denial and destruction of U.S. climate policy under the Trump administration. Also good. Biden's transition team announced this week the Biden White House will host a climate summit of the world's major economies within his first 100 days to begin rebuilding U.S. credibility on international climate policy. We got a lot of rebuilding to do. Biden also advanced his pledge for a whole-of-government approach on climate change. This week, Biden tapped former Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Gina McCarthy McCarthy. to head up domestic climate policy, a new cabinet-level position with authority to coordinate climate action across agencies and would dovetail with John Kerry's international role as global climate envoy. 
McCarthy's expertise will be useful in crafting climate policy in the executive branch if Republicans continue to hold the U.S. Senate. You mean if they continue to hold the U.S. Senate hostage? Biden also nominated former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm, who embraced renewable energy as governor of a Rust Belt state, to head up the Department of Energy, seen as a move to accelerate the Energy Department's advanced battery and clean energy research and U.S. automakers' transition to all-electric vehicles. And yet the Energy Department deals with nuclear energy, nuclear security. Does Jennifer Granholm have any background experience at all in that? No, but she is a competent administrator. There you go. Just because she's a woman, you're taking her side. We can own the electric vehicle market with those 500,000 charging stations. We can put a million jobs back in Detroit and in the Midwest building cars. Biden highlighted his campaign pledge to build a national electric vehicle charging network in announcing former campaign rival Pete Buttigieg to head the sprawling Department of Transportation, the first millennial and first openly gay member to serve in a cabinet position. In accepting the nomination, Buttigieg highlighted infrastructure projects he spearheaded as a mayor in Indiana and noted that upgrading our transportation infrastructure will be a massive jobs generator. At its best, transportation makes the American dream possible, getting people and goods to where they need to be, directly and indirectly creating good-paying jobs. America has given this administration a mandate to build back better. And step one in building back better, literally, is to build. Finally, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee released a new state-level plan to create jobs in energy, transportation, and infrastructure over the next two years, with energy efficiency building retrofits, updating the state's electric grid and flood controls, electrifying the state's ferry system, and more, telling Time magazine that U.S. states are key to restoring U.S. credibility. Every year we have more success in our states to be able to share with the rest of the world to demonstrate that America is in the game and is making progress. Well, I don't know if we're in the game, but it will be good to get back in it. Soon. Like now. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Big changes afoot. Wake up, world. (laughs) What are you waiting for? Christmas? That's not long. Okay, we got to get out. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where you can read a whole lot more about it. Or you can grab it from from your favorite podcast site. Share it with your friends and family. All of that is made possible by those of you who uh, stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you for uh, keeping us in mind for your year-end giving. Uh, or, you know, you can just PayPal bradcast at bradblog.com. We even take Venmo. How's that? Uh, you can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. That's it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.